All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a, a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit mortonbuildings.com and start your construction process with superior materials craftsmanship best in class warranty morton buildings are made to last for generations at morton the difference is in the details from their cutting edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field they are dedicated to surpassing expectations their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years and morton buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of West Love Supreme QLS Classic Edition. Uh, this episode is from August 9th, 2017 with Catherine Bigelow, director, Academy Award winning director, Catherine Bigelow. We go through her entire canon, especially her film Zero to Dark 30, The Hurt Locker, Detroit, and uh, an unintentional comedy called Point Break. We hope you enjoy this. This is Questlove Supreme QLS Classic Edition. Thank you. with hello yeah translation to detroit yeah what up though roll call suprema suprema roll call suprema suprema roll call my name is fonte yeah let's keep it dirty yeah my skin complexion yeah zero dark 30 Sugar. Yeah. I'm pretty big. Yeah. What's my point? Yeah. Point break. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. I'm on pay bill. Yeah. Y'all don't sue me. Yeah. Wanted to thank Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. For Gary Busey. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. 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 
I'm Laia. Yeah. And I'm the shit. Yeah. Sitting next to an Oscar winner. Yeah. But I ain't gonna trip. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Boss Bill don't care. Yeah. About how you feel. Yeah. But Ron Silver. Yeah. Was Ellen Blue Steel. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema, roll call. I'm Catherine. Yeah. And peace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's it. Roll call. Suprema, Suprema, su, su, roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, roll call. Suprema, roll call. Wow. That's a ball. Start. She said one word. Peace. Drop it. You do what you want when you pop. <laughs> Yo, I'm so mad at you for that. I'm still. What? Yo, he was ill and blue steel. I know. Yeah, he was. Know. He was. Yeah, he was. He was a motherfucker. Now. Yeah. Wow, you did blue steel. I did. Wow. Yes. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Quest Love Supreme, only on Pandora. Uh, this is your host, Questlove, and we have Team Supreme. We have uh, Laia Gordy as the uh, organizer. I don't, like Barry? And we have Bill DeBarge, <laughs> boss Bill DeBarge. <laughs> is that a light skin joke? Well, it could be. Yeah, okay. Uh, we, we, we have Fonte Robinson, our resident oh poet over here. Being with you. Yes. <laughs> and uh, over here, we have uh, uh, Bill Ruffin. <laughs> That wouldn't be nothing without Bill Ruffin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the smoothest of them all, we have uh, Steve Gay over here on, <laughs> on, on, uh, on. It's all good. You heard it here. On back. In, are, are you okay? Are you okay, Steve? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If anybody hears me groan, it's not that you're boring. It's I'm, well, no, I'm no, in I, a lot I, of pain. I was gonna say you're not trying out a new sexy voice. You're just no, no. This is it. This is all I got right now. This position. That's well, sexy I, enough. I thank you. I'm gonna Steve. turn the mic away when I'm not talking because I'm groaning. And groaning. <laughs> okay. How's that? Need to so it's just, just again, you're not having a sexy moment. No, I'm Steve Gay, but I'm not being sexy. I'm just being. <laughs> can you make? Anytime you talk, can I just put this on? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Can you make a couple this of those the most noises? Interesting I've ever sounded with that music. <laughs> anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is a uh, gripping storyteller, uh, very intense and stark as a writer and a director, uh, such as Ashen. I'm sorry, <laughs> writer and director uh, with such action classics as uh, Point Break, uh, Strange Days, K19, and Blue Steel. Uh, by the way, I too have never looked at Ron Silver the same after that film came out. Yeah. Uh, however, in uh, 2010, uh, she made history as the first and only female to win the Best Director Oscar. That's right. Strong J. Give it up, Strong J. Strong J. <laughs> For uh, her Iraq War drama classic, The Hurt Locker, and uh, her follow-up film, the equally gripping uh, 2012 Zero Dark Thirty, also garnered uh, universal claim, earning her uh, New York Films uh, Critics Award for Best Director as well. And in uh, 2017, she follows that up with her next film entitled Detroit. Uh, but, you know, for all my people up in Detroit, I secretly call it The, the D. D. The D. The D in my head. Um, <laughs> wow. 
And it's a film that's centered around uh, the Algiers Motel incident. Uh, one of the many stories that have occurred uh, during the 1967 riots uh, that really, you know, transformed that city into what it is today. Uh, kind of putting the the long history conflict relationship between the police and the inner city residents on full display for the uh, the world to see. And if you think that she uh, lets up on her intensity, uh, think again, because it's intense as hell. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Questlove Supreme, the one and only Catherine Bigelow. Thank you. Wow. This is this is uh, an honor to have you on the show. Well, it's an honor to be here. Nor- normally, you know, we we've been uh, in our comfort zone with with Grammy with, winners, with Grammy winners <laughs> and, and, and music uh, icons, but um, because of the the city of Detroit and its relationship to music, um, and the '67 riots, which actually affected the outcome of uh, a lot of the music that came out of that city, most notably Motown. Uh, migrating to the West as a result of the end of Detroit. And um, for those that don't know, um, the the central role that uh, the group, the Dramatics, plays in this film, um, I thought it was only right to have you on the show um, to to speak of it. How are are you today? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk about it. Um, (laughs) So I I have to ask... uh, because of, of okay, your filmography. I'm so used to saying your discography. Yeah. <laughs> or your canon. Yes, your canon. canon. Um, you know, you're probably, I mean, when, when all is said and done and we look at your, your canon, uh, the intense level of your storytelling can't be denied. Um What what is your your goal as far as when you make a film? Like, what's your mission statement? At least, like when artists make a record, there's a mission statement that's used like one or two, you know, phrases. This is my da 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 statement or whatever. For, but for you, is it just to rip the 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 ribbons and the bows off of of the conventions of what Hollywood expects, and for you to just come at it raw? I'm gonna rip the bandaid off. Yeah, I think. Um... I think up until Hurt Locker, it was, you know, kind of learning the craft. And then with Hurt Locker, I sort of discovered that you could kind of look at film like journalism. In other words, it could, it could be about something you don't already know. And I thought that the Iraq war, it's a really contested engagement that was very underreported at the time. And I didn't know what an IED or an EOD tech was. And so it gave the audience an opportunity to kind of perhaps maybe a bit immersive, but to experience what it might be like over there. So you could begin to have, make your own decision about it, you know. Should And so that was interesting to me. And so that was what, I suppose, informed Zero Dark Thirty as well. Like, you know, how do how does something that take 10 years to find this individual who is the most hunted man in the world? And so trying to unpack these, these um, I don't know, these stories and treat them almost like journalism. In other words, it's... It's kind of both at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I, particularly with those two movies, I always thought that they took a very journalistic approach and that they're very kind of just the facts kind of way. 
versus if you like with the Hurt Locker in particular, um, if you look at someone like a Spike Lee who his movies are very overt, like you know how he feels about everything in it. But with the Hurt Locker in particular, I love the movie, but I you don't really know your personal feelings on the war. Like what were your personal feelings about it and how did you keep that bias out of the film? It was hard. <laughs> but I sort of looked at it like kind of threading a needle of being pro-soldier and anti-war, you know, if you could somehow do that. Mm-hmm. And, and also giving an, uh, an audience the opportunity to have enough information to make their own decision. I, I don't think it's up to me to judge. You know, it's, I'm, I feel like my role or responsibility is to present and then, you know, enable you to come away with enough information. But it is very hard. It's a good question because, you know, you're constantly wanting to, but wait a minute, I'm really passionate about, you know, I don't yeah. want to go, I don't want to be in this engagement. But anyway, so it's, it's tricky. Gotcha. How do you tackle, I mean, especially with the Hurt Locker, um, one of the, one of the, the, the factor, factors that are on full display is sort of the, the, the male toxic um, relationships that are that are in that movie um you know even when they're not engaged in battle just how they deal with each other um i mean how do you like well i guess fonte kind of asked like how do you even present that without presenting your bias whereas a producer or a, a studio head could say well you know or what are you trying to say with your agenda that you know this that this particular demographic is is somewhat messed up in the head or that sort of thing? Like, how? I mean, how do you even... Well, it's a good question. Um, I mean, the writer was embedded with the EOD text, Mark Bowl, mm-hmm. and so he came back with a tremendous amount of information and really brought it to life on the page, and so that helped inform me a lot. And then I went to Kuwait, I went to Camp Arab Jam, I spent time in, in, you know, in situ to the extent I can. I mean, I couldn't go, I couldn't go the five kilometers across the border to Iraq, but I could be, I was in the staging area. So I got a sense of what, I don't, I don't know, I suppose what the psychology is of these individuals. And, and so spent a lot of time with EOD techs and just, you know, you're, you're in a really heightened scenario. I mean, you're trying to clear a 300-meter perimeter around some suspicious wires sticking up out of the ground, and as you get closer in that 300-meter walk, you have to, you know, at the beginning you're thinking of, well, it's, you know, it's 102 degrees outside, I'm, you know, my IQ is dropping because of how hot it is inside the suit, but as you're closer and closer, they always talked about there's a 25-meter perimeter, and that's when you start thinking about your family. And it's just you know, do I have everything in order is, you know, and so Mm -hmm. it's a very, it was interesting kind of understanding that degree of commitment and dedication, I guess. And, and yet trying to also understand the methodology of the insurgents. I mean, this, this is a different, this isn't like a ground war, like, you know, where, where people wear different helmets and it's like, oh, they're the bad guy. I mean, you don't, you know, it's a very, you don't know who's who. And also you have to be very quick in terms of disarming this IED before your coordinates are called in by a sniper in the areas. You've got about maybe three minutes maximum to figure out which, you know, how to unpack it. But, um, but so it was trying to, I don't know if I'm answering your question very well, but it was trying to understand, I guess what I try to do is, 
is create as experiential right. a situation environment as I can. So I keep the camera very live, keep the cast doing their job, not thinking about camera. I did the same thing with um, in the Algiers Motel, mm-hmm. where you're just you're doing what you're you know you're either against the wall or you're one of the officers. So it's keeping you on task. Okay, well that leads me to my next question. Okay, because. <laughs> Because I always feel as though, um, whatever, camera number one is also a character in the film. How do you, because a, a lot of the, you, and you do hard panning, you do a lot of hard panning instead of cuts. Whereas I really feel like, okay, I'm a character in this and, you know, I'm inside of, of, of this world. How do you even coordinate the, the, the choreography? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of like the founder almost where... Oh yeah, we're making the uh, hamburgers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, it, as far as the 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 technical preparation is concerned, um, how do you do it so that you you maintain the 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 key elements of the scene without him being in the way or the actors being distracted? Like, you know, like. Well, I mean, first of all, you've got this story this narrative beginning, and that's somewhat linear. That's all that's linear. Everything else is in motion. The act, the cast is in motion. The cameras are in motion. I light the entire area, so everything is live, and then I try to, I try to work in, in situ as long as possible. In other words, like you could do eight pages if you wanted to. In other words, it's very... I try to keep it in as continuous as possible, but but I keep I keep it very alive, and then eventually, usually just within the first couple of days, the cast just the camera disappears for them, and they're just they're kind of on point. They're doing what they they are who they are. Like in terms of Jeremy Renner and Hurt Locker, he was just walking down that 300 meter perimeter. It didn't matter. I mean, the cameras were constantly switching up, take after take. I had four cameras working simultaneously, and you just. I mean, I think in a way it's kind of freeing. He had never worked like that before, mm-hmm. and and I think it's kind of freeing. There's no blocking. There's no blocking for camera. There's no there's no marks. There's no rehearsals. No it's practice. No nothing. No. So like are you are a, like you coordinating? Are you coordinating like a, a defensive coordinator? Because even then, like when there are certain scenes where there'll there'll be a certain shot, and then suddenly on cue the camera will pan in. Like and I'm always wondering, like, are you in someone's headphones? Like, okay, no, I wish I did. Immediately <laughs> now, like, guess <laughs> the. So I, they just do it on instinct. You I'm, just you trust them enough to know when to blur out the shot and then focus. And I need that technology, but um, <laughs> no, Barry Ackroyd is he's a genius. He's a cinematographer in both Hurt Locker and Zero Dark and um, Hurt Locker and Detroit, right? And. And he's so uncanny, he's so intuitive. I mean, he, and so those are, you know, he'll snap zoom, like. He just knows what you want. He just knows, yeah. We talk it through, and then um, and then he feels it. In fact, he doesn't want to see a rehearsal. He wants to find it in that first take. And and he talks about that. I mean, that's that's very important for him. So you're like it, a jazz musician. It, I was just going to say, it's like a jazz Like a jazz musician. Because <laughs> it can't be rehearsed or mechanical. Then it, then it loses, it loses something. Um, are you are you ever over the editor's shoulder, or do you just turn your tapes in and you just trust that they know what you want? Like, at what point do you let your baby go and trust that they will cut what was in your head at the time when you're thinking of the shot? 
and a certain scene. Well, I also have, I have the, um, just in my opinion, the world's greatest editor, Billy Goldenberg, who did um, Zero Dark in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And what's, uh, this style of shooting, there's no masters, mediums, close-ups, doesn't work like that. You're just, everything is constantly in motion, like the actor may walk around the Humvee and then suddenly he is in a close-up. Or, in other words, it's it's very fluid. So Billy takes this, which in a way is very... Um, chaotic can really seem very chaotic but he creates the linearity and I trust him completely and I am there but um so you are there I'm there (laughs) (laughs) see I've heard well I mean not not that I know that much about filmmaking but I do know that like in the case of of, of Martin and, and Filma right he says that the second he's done a film Scorsese just gives Schumacher his 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 films and it's like it's on you you know what I like and I'll come back. Like, there's always an issue of micromanaging or that sort of thing, like not letting go. And I, I didn't know if it was an unwritten rule that once a director finishes shooting, then you just give it to the editor and trust that they know what they're doing. Well, I trust completely. And I'd love him to, you know, find a certain autonomy. But I, but I think he would agree, hopefully I'm speaking for him, but I think it's a real collaboration with the crew, with the cast, with, ev- with everybody. It's a real... It's a real collaborative medium, and I think it's at its best when it's collaborative. Can I ask you, it yeah. seems like, and I might be assuming, but it feels like Hurt Locker was the beginning of a, a 100% passion project for you, like a chapter, because Hurt Locker, of course, and then Zero Dark Thirty, Detroit. Um, I wanted to know, is, is that the case, or what is the difference, what happened in between to, number one, to get to the point where you could do this, are these your 100% passion projects, and... Yeah, what was the transition to that point? Because, of course, you did so many movies and projects before that. But these last three seem like... You're in your zone. Yeah, and this is your heart. And then you did my zone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like um, the the films before them, and, and of course, you know, you kind of, I don't know, you can't have favorites, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but I feel like they prepared me for those, and I couldn't have done... Hurt Locker or Zero Dark or Detroit if I hadn't done those. Mm. And one thing that was a real departure was working with emerging talent or, you know, mainly unknown talent. Mm. And and I kind of made that a... In other words, if you wanted to finance or produce the Hurt Locker, you had to work... or That was a prerogative, creative control. Okay. And... And let me tell you, that winnowed out a lot of <laughs> options out there, you know. And and um, and then there was this one gentleman who took the leap and, and for very little, relatively for a movie like that, small amount of money. And I was able to cast exactly who I want, cut exactly, cut it the way, shoot it the way I wanted, cut it the way I wanted. And, and, um, and so... And this I, is the first time that you were able to do that in your whole career. In all yeah. The years of and the, yeah. How Final hard? Cut. How hard is it to find a producer that's not trying to for unless intents and purposes a pain in the ass? Because you know, I at least in my experiences of, of witnessing, usually the good cop is the director, and the bad cop is the producer. You know, and they have to. Stay on the side, let you know the budget that's running over, and this this sort of thing. I mean, how how easy is it to find 
or how hard is it to find one that gives you complete autonomy? Because there there were years before. I think K nineteen came out uh, six years before seven Her, seven. Not knowing what the budget for the Hurt Locker was, but I can imagine that. However, you pitched it. Obviously, for that and for Zero Dark Thirty, that it it was pricey, and and you know, the, of course, we're not mentioning the, the elephant in the room about you know, are are women given the same amount of trust behind the wheel <laughs> as a male director? We all know that answer is no. So, how did you how did you break how did you break through the, to the other side to even this is a lottery ticket. It's a lottery ticket. Well, um, I, you know, I just, you have to be very tenacious. And, well, the first budget for Hurt Locker was $30 million, and I ended up making it for 10 So, <laughs> that... Wow. Wait, <laughs> first. Wow. Wait. <laughs> Wait. I was like, oh, so, Don't even have my siren, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> But, How do you but, get a budget from thirty to ten? Well, that's and I know actors and didn't lose any set pieces either. So, wow. Wow. so that was a little tricky, but um, or a little challenging. But the key there was, and what I realized was that um, the budget and your creative control are in direct proportion to one another. So that was for that. So the lower the budget, the more creative control you have. So you're going to sacrifice and compromise creative control if you want, if you want more, more money. money. Yeah. So that's just, it's a very simple calculus. And I, I kind of wrapped my head around that and, and went forward with it. And, and obviously, with Hurt Locker, that, was, that turned out well. And Zero Dark was a little bit more money, but not, I mean, it wasn't outrageous. But I would be a, considered a kind of fairly robust budget, but nothing in terms of, I don't know, like one of the more normal big movies today. Well, okay, because I know that Zero Dark is is also in t- uh, intense on the drama and the dialogue that's just as rich as an action scene or that sort of thing. Now I'm trying to imagine if you were given complete autonomy to do, you know, say if you were given a $70 million budget or, you know, some films of this nature get a $150 million budget. Like, what more could you, I, you have see, done? Like, is there a sacrifice scene that I, we didn't know about that? Like, okay, well, right. we only got $10 million, so we'll just yeah. use this firecracker over here. <laughs> I'll just blow up this town. No, um... <laughs> That's another thing. I think, you know, I do when I can. I work in ele- elephant conservation or some kind of philanthropy. And I think, you know, the bigger the budgets, I think, wow, I should be using this money for that, you know, saving these park rangers in Garamba and the DRC or something mm-hmm. like that. But so, but, but finding a producer that supports you and trusts you, I mean, that's, it's a process. It's a pro- I mean, I also produce, but... In other words, I'm a producer and director, so I You're see cost. You're a suit and a creative. I'm a suit and a creative, but <laughs> but you know, I know, um, you know, I know, I know who wins in my <laughs> in my own personal right. Um, but but uh, yeah, you just you know, but I think working with as much trust, integrity, and respect as you possibly can, and then, I mean, with everybody, crew, cast, producers, etc., and then, you know, it's usually a 
you kind of, I mean, that's sort of what I learned prior to the Hurt Locker and then, of course, tried to execute it from that point on. So you're, you're proven, you're, 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 you're reaffirming what I've always thought about musicians, which is uh, whenever they have limited resources and limited budgets, they turn out their most creative work. And whenever they're just given the entire world, that's usually the uh, that's the jumping the shark yeah. moment for <laughs> a lot of our our musicians. Well, there's uh, a great quote by Andre Gide. It said, "Art is born of restraint and dies of freedom." Mm. Yeah, that's very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't it? <laughs> and that's Questlove Supreme. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Peace. 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 We out. <laughs> oh man. I have, a, I have a question, Steve yeah. Gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mona. Um, and then I really want to hear about Detroit after. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to Detroit. I, I, I kind of want to. I get my question is because um, you mentioned the journalistic nature of, of the making of, of these movies. So, do you have any kind of background in, in journalism? Or Mm-mm. no, but Mark, who wrote all three of them, comes from investigative journalism, and so that allowed me to kind of open up open up that idea of being a you know putting the viewer in an active relationship with the screen as opposed to passive you know that can't consequently the again the camera's very active but in other words uh, sort of inviting the viewer to be a fly in the wall in what you're experiencing follow up yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll change your lad you you can be stubbs yeah. steve stubbs um so i was watching the um the cnn thing in the 90s and i saw your name as a director on uh, what was it a long time ago like um Point Break. No, no, no. no it was uh, it was a show. It was um, Homicide, Life on the Street. Homicide, Life on the Street. Yeah, Baltimore. Yeah. 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 So that's you, right? Yeah. That was really cool. <laughs> I love you, Steve. That was somewhat journalistic type thing too, as well, right? Well, I started. That was sort of where I began to get confident enough to move. You know, to be, I don't know, create a very. I suppose, sort of active and fluid cinematic environment. And then, I don't know, you just kind of get your chops. I mean, it's got to be like what all of you do. Wait, so <laughs> what, what, was your first, what was your first gig in the film industry? Because, Catherine, you have, like, actress, producer, writer, director, all these things. I mean, what was your first? Yeah, I'm going to add some more. No, I'm kidding. Slash. You should. As you should. Hey. Do whatever. Um, well, I started out as a painter, and I was an artist and or thought of myself as an artist and and moved to New York um I was given this uh, I don't know this I guess internship with the Whitney Independent Study Program they gave you a studio I was uh-huh. living in a bank vault and on the corner of um mm-hmm. down in wow. Reed and Chambers and when the, 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 Many, many years ago. <laughs> pre-gentrified New York? Like, pre- no, no, very pre-gentrified. Off-track bedding building, and I was oh, downstairs wow. in this bank vault. Damn. And, and uh, Susan Sontag was one of my advisors. She'd come down, and I'd put the work up on the wall of these stainless steel. And, then, and the door, I mean, I had nowhere to stay. I had a sleeping bag in the bank vault, and I'd sleep in there, and people would be, there were gunshots above. But I was like, okay, I'm safe down here, and long as the door doesn't shut. Right. Small brain. Small brain. The door shuts. No, nobody's gonna find me. But um, but so she, I would do these paintings, and then I realized that art, 
And I love it. Believe me, I, I still, you know, I, I kind of... Dabble yeah. a little bit. That's how well, you no, unwind? No, no. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I still look at it. And, uh, <laughs> no. No, no, no. No, it can't be a hobby. I wish it could. But anyway, so no, it's not relaxing at all. Oh, wow. But, but, um, but I realize there's something, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know how to put it, but maybe kind of rarefied. You look at this white-on-white canvas, which is this Russian guy, Kazimir Malevich, who I love. But, but the point is, it, it's, you know, requires or asks of you a little bit of information to kind of appreciate it and think this is extraordinary and breakthrough or Monet's haystacks or whatever. And so I, right. then I started moving into film because I thought it crosses all class cultural lines. Yeah. Like everybody can, everybody exp- can go to the movies. Mm-hmm. Everybody can go to the movies. And so how do you make, how do you work in a populist medium with an emphasis on content? And so that's where it started. I did this piece set up and then I ended up doing a graduate degree at Columbia and I was getting too long of an answer, but <laughs> no, no, and no. and um, I did this movie called Setup Movie. It was a short. It was twenty minutes, and it was um, very violent. I know there's a, a thematic really? <laughs> shocker, <laughs> a real breakthrough. No, and um, but what was interesting to me was why we are attracted to extreme situations and. And Susan Sontag wrote that book on photography, and she talked about identifying with the other and or the id, you know, and, and your your. So anyway, I have it's basically a piece that tries to unpack our attraction to cinematic violence, and it's only twenty minutes long, sort of non-narrative. And then that kind of propelled me into the motorcycle movie I did with Willem Dafoe called The Loveless. Mm-hmm. William Dafoe. And, mm, he must be special to work with. Oh, I mean, I'm Oh, thinking. he's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, he was doing, you know, he used to be with the Booster Group, and that was back in the day when you can just go to a performance and then you go up afterward and you say, hey, do you want to be in a movie? I mean, I had just, wow. A, wow. you know, five pennies to make this film, and he's like, sure. I said, can you ride a motorcycle? He said, yes. Well, I learned... <laughs> I, I learned... Um, you know, it's good to kind of like research research <laughs> these questions, especially when we ended up. Anyway, How many times was, did he fall? <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't fall. He just ended up um, going through a hedge and up a lawn and into oh. yeah. <laughs> hitting the front door. We had these big electric glides back in the day. There was ghost motorcycles out on Long Island. I don't know if any of you, ghost none of you, are old enough. No, and they had the they had real. They had vintage motorcycles, uh-huh. and this was a film that took place in 1959. And so I wanted all the motorcycles to be real. Mm-hmm. And so they're heavy. And I, I mean, I didn't, <laughs> I can't drive one. But, <laughs> but um, so that was how the switch happened. And then I sort of, then suddenly I was making film. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. 
I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a, a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit mortonbuildings.com and start your construction process with superior materials craftsmanship best in class warranty morton buildings are made to last for generations at morton the difference is in the details from their cutting edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field they are dedicated to surpassing expectations their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years and morton buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There's, what is your attraction to, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to use violence as, you know, as the four letter word, but there's definitely that's an element that's almost a, a, a common denominator in each film. Like I, I became aware of you through Blue Steel, uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, but what is, what is it that you want to tell the world or show the world through all of your films that you, you, you direct or you write? Like, what is your? Because you wrote Blue Steel, correct? Mm-hmm. You wrote and directed. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what is that what is why is that your way to grip our collars or to get our attention? Well, I cuz you use it in a very unusual you don't it's not gratuitous as in like hey it's gratuitous but it's it's almost psychological where you you go deep into all these characters and and you show this dark place in their soul. Which makes me wonder about you. <laughs> What's the dark place in your soul, Catherine Bigelow? Um, well, we could turn this into a therapy set. No, <laughs> There's um, couches. <laughs> right, I know. Um, and I co-wrote that with Eric Red, so, and we co-wrote Near Dark together, too. Um, but I think of, well, I, don't, I, I suppose it's... Um, Goes kind of go back, goes back to the art days where the purpose of art is to agitate for change, and so I, I think a film is very kinetic. It's a very kinetic medium, and and I in, I sort of enjoy the the mechanics of that that kind of visceral identification with a story on the screen. Mm-hmm. But it has to have content. It has to have some purpose. There has to be some, um, you know. Uh, to say meaning is too self-aggrandizing. I don't mean it that way, but to have, you know, it has to have some substance. Right. And I think what's so great about film is it allows you, and music, to be a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And, you know, maybe ever so slightly you can perhaps make a difference. I want to ask you about uh, 
when you cast your films and uh, the training that you put your actors through, um, obviously for the Hurt Locker, there was, you know, it had to be some kind of military training or what was the regimen for that? And also for Detroit, because the guys are playing a singing group, what did you have them do to, to uh, so that it looks real on camera? Well, thank you. Camp. Um, Any sort of camp or... <laughs> Uh, yeah, there was Motown camp. No, we didn't. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, well, in terms of Hurt Locker, yeah, they had they went through a lot of military training. I mean, um, and same with Sarah Dark. I had uh, the benefit of, in, in the case of Hurt Locker, there were some Delta, uh, Delta Force individuals that were my tech advisors and SAS, and then with Sarah Dark, Navy SEAL, mm. Um, tech advisors and taught them how to, you know, how to move and how, you know, the most important thing I took away from that was don't run, uh, wait, don't run to your death. You know, how it's very methodical how these people move. It's really interesting. Like you'll be coming around a corner and you don't race around it. You move very slowly and incessantly. It's like they talk about it, like the trainers would talk about it, like water. You know, the way water moves. Mm -hmm. It's cadence doesn't change. It's just very consistent it has nothing to do with Motown but um, <laughs> well I'm um, I'm somebody I think who's musically challenged in fact I was I think I don't know how old I was I did a piano recital at like one and a half I don't know I was very young and the teacher hit my hand with a ruler I was doing something wrong and so I told my parents I'm never never, do it again. never doing that again so I started painting, but anyway, so I was extremely lucky because I'm, I'm not conversant in that world, and finding these actors, and I did a lot of improv. I didn't ever work from the script. I worked basically in improv, created a situation like, okay, you're up against the wall, this guy's going to come in, and, and I needed to see how they would react in a situation, and then how they would work together um, as a, you know, musically. Mm -hmm. And I think I, you know, I think they, they just blended. I don't know. They was just a natural blend and they, they kind of, and then they, I don't know, they got together a lot during the shoot and, and prior in the casting process that would, they would get together and really created a sense of, um, of history. And that carried over into the uh, you know, onto the scene. When you when oh. you do it, do you have a, someone in mind? Like when you looking at the the story, do you have someone in mind saying, "Hey, I think this actor or this actress would be good for this role," or is that something that totally you let the casting? Uh, no, there. Well, I had an amazing casting director, Vicky Thomas, but I I really wanted actors who, um, in a way, didn't have any provenance because that. Tell it telegraphs to an audience, even if it's consciously or subconsciously. Oh, that person, you know, you, he can't die. He's too famous it's or whatever. Right, right. right. And so <laughs> immediately the game is over. You know, there's no tension. So for that reason and many, and, and also just I love the idea of kind of these discoveries. And, and these young African-American men were just, I mean, they were so giving and so... Um, I don't know. They're so talented. I mean, it was an embarrassment of riches. It was very, very, very hard to cast because for any one part, there were quite a few options. Well, you did a great job because mm -hmm. I didn't even recognize uh, 
John Krasinski. And oh, so, yeah. <laughs> five minutes. I was like, oh, this is Jim. <laughs> right, <laughs> and right. I was waiting for the right. office pan. Like. <laughs> right. And the, the young black actors that you picked are like, right now, the up and coming. You, I mean, just off a name, you Ralph got like Easy E, you got Ralph Tresvant, you know. You, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> 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 Easy E, <laughs> these are the characters, but I mean that they play. But and it's it's dope too because I was I was thinking I said you know they're used to being in these dope ensemble class cast. Even John Boyega, I don't, I don't know if I say his name right. Yeah, but yeah, perfect. Star Wars ensemble cast, so it kind of worked dope for you because they are used to making it work for one good mission, right? Yeah, I mean they work. Yeah, they're well first at working as you know as a group mm. and as a kind of an organic body that you know I mean I was just so lucky and Algie Smith and Peyton yeah. and Malcolm and, and and Will Putler I'm glad I never knew his name but I've been watching him since he was a child actor he's amazing oh that's great uh, he's scary he is even if I see him now I know you like he's in the he's in the he's on the Goldbergs right is he not on the uh I don't know if he's on there now. I'm, he was in The Revenant. He was the in Re- okay. The Chronicles yeah. of Narnia. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. I know that. But yeah, he's... Oh, Jesus he's Christ. He's scary looking. He got yeah. an eyebrow thing. <laughs> 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 Even if you mention it now, I'm like, all right, change the subject. Baby. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to feel when I see him come on my show. and <laughs> I'm not playing. Um, I want to know, what is uh, your personal creative process? Uh, from going project to project. Now, I mean, the, the, the time distance between Zero Dark Thirty and uh, The Hurt Locker was two years, almost. Now, I would imagine, usually for anyone else uh, in any other medium, uh, when someone reaches that level, that summer, that pinnacle of, of a career... And, you of course making history as the first female director to get uh, a, a, an an Oscar nod. Um, usually, for anyone else, that would be like okay, well, a period of decompression, and you might take five years off to think of your next move. Like, let's take Lin Manuel Miranda for example. Like, I'll be shocked if he comes up with a follow up to to Hamilton <laughs> in the next five years. Like, I'll be shocked. <laughs> I'm doing Jefferson now. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yet, you you know, you immediately, I mean, for me, that's that's almost lightning fast of how you just went on to the next project. Like, it, it was nothing. You didn't let it freeze you up or anything. Um, but I want to know, you know, do you have a kind of a, a decompression resting period that lets you back at zero so that you can go to the next project? And then what's your research into, like, oh. as far as you deciding, okay, this is what I want to do next, and then, you know, making sure that you and your screenwriter are on point with each other, and then mapping out the direction and all the things that go with creating a film. Like, what is your creative process? And in relationship, especially with Detroit, the research you had to do and, and the books you had to read and all those things. Yeah, the research on Detroit was massive. Um, uh, what happened was it, Mark came to me with this story and this was early 20, uh, 2015 and right about the time of the um, Michael Brown acquittal mm-hmm. and I so it was a, you know kind of obviously a politically emotionally charged time and he told me this story and I said 
you know, this is a story that um, needs to get out there. You know, it's it's very important in my opinion, and and uh, and um, you know, maybe in some small way it can contribute to a conversation mm-hmm. on a on a bigger scale. And um, and then I started doing homework on it, and 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 um, in fact, I sent down I sat down with uh, Congressman Conyers, who's in the movie, oh, wow. but in Detroit, and he kind of looked at me and said, "Okay, what do you?" What are you doing? You know, what, what kind of movie are you doing in Detroit? I said, Well, I'm doing a story about the Algiers Motel, and he said, That's an execution, and mm. and so I realized that there's, you know, there's a lot of um, obviously a lot of history, uh, mm-hmm. even though it's 50 years ago, and then the, you know, what happened with Michael Brown, and on and on and this time and this time it felt very yeah. timely and it felt like. This might be, um, you know, I don't know, worth be incredibly um, moving to to dig into. And uh, the more research I did, the more homework we did, um, and trying to make it as real and authentic as possible. And and um, it was a very emotional piece. It was very emotionally charged shooting it as well. Did you know. Did you have any reservations about doing this? Because I was reading the article that uh, Dr. Dyson wrote on you, and I remember the part where he, one of the people in Detroit, because you guys are walking around Detroit, and he says, like, what is this, is this, is this white woman going to know about us and this story that we have? Like, did you personally have to have a moment and say, can I do this, should I do this? Absolutely. I mean, I thought, and I think, um, I still think, you know, I'm, am I the perfect person to make this movie? Absolutely not. On the other hand, you know, I have this opportunity. I can get this. You know, I can get this story out there, and and you know, take advantage of that in the hope that again, it maybe leads to a dialogue or more stories like this coming out. And so um, that was that was the impetus behind it. When you say you're not the perfect person, if not you, then who? Like who would? If you were producing Detroit, who would you get to direct it? Is that an Ava thing? Yeah, I mean, she'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, uh, but, it, you know, it kind of washed up on my beach. And so it was mm-hmm. sort of like, all right, do I, I don't know. You know, that was, that that took a, um, there was a moment there. Mm-hmm. When I was trying to kind of grapple with that. And it's weird because I, even when uh, I saw the screening of it, I did not know that the story even happened. And, you know, I'd like to think that anything musically related, like I'm on top of. I mean, I knew of riots being in Detroit and I knew, uh, I've heard several interviews of why Motown had left. You know, I simply thought it was because, okay, well, Diana Ross wants to make movies and so let's go out there. I had no idea that, you know, Detroit was in that intense of a disarray and um so the first thing i thought was like well why wasn't this i think bill was the first person uh i I called about this and he looked it up and was like yo yeah it was real and you know he he looked at he researched it online like i I couldn't believe that because the thing is (laughs) it's not because you didn't do a biopic about the dramatics 
more or less the dramatics just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and you captured it and even then i was like wow like the four or five times that i've seen the dramatics I mean, that would be like if I met Rodney King and he never told me about about, April 1991. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? So I was driving one night. (laughs) Things got a little out of hand. (laughs) Right. But anyway. Yeah. And I kept thinking, like, on the way home, I was like, wait a minute, man. I've been, at least in the four or five times I've been in the presence of the dramatics in my career, like it's at least been an accumulated three to four hours. I'm like, man, they didn't mention this once. Like, I maybe it wasn't the worst thing that happened to them. <laughs> well, it, here's the funny <laughs> thing. The thing. <laughs> yeah. Here's the here's the funny thing because I've talked about violent situations that they've been in. Mm. Um, in Snoop's second source cover. Uh, when his solo album comes out in 1993 and Dream Hampton's sort of trailing them during the making of Doggy Style, uh, there was maybe an exchange of gunfire between the van that the Dramatics were in what? and maybe the family that, remember Snoop had an incident uh, oh, murder one thing. Yeah, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Wow. Philip, I, I, I don't want to just Phillip reduce him to. Yeah. Ooh, how did you. I, I, I remember. That's you. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the article came out 25 years ago, but I remember the dramatics being in that situation. And then when Slum Village told me a story, uh, sort of similar, that. It was like a minor fender bender. Like they were with some members of the dramatics and DJ does told me like, you know, like they were about to get into a, a violent situation. I was thinking like, man, the dramatics are like the most unluckiest group on earth. And I'm or talking. Gangster. Yeah, yeah, and gangster. I'm, yeah. Or they just like the drama. <laughs> there you go, Steve. Steve. Yeah, Steve. I up to you, man. Good night. Yes. Yes. Yeah, good night. Thank you, Steve. So, yeah, but. In talking to them about those situations, yeah, man, oh, phew, it was intense that day. But like nothing, they never said, but it was nothing but that never compared to. Compared right. to yeah. just, <laughs> they just, I just, that's the first thing I was like, why did they not tell me about 1967? Like, why did I not know this? Even in the film, I kept asking. Half the time, I was like, IMDb, I'm like, wait a minute. Is this the dramatics? Dramatics? That, yeah, right. yeah, the dramatics. The dramatics. Yeah. I know what you see is what you. And then when they started singing it. Then uh, who, whoever is running the I, – I don't know if you told them not to tell me or whatever, that you just wanted me to see it raw and uh, that sort of thing. So I went back to him. I'm like, yo, is this story real or <laughs> – and he said, just watch it. you know. So half the time I was just like trying to follow facts and um, yeah, I – it's just a long story. They're probably so sick of telling it. It's like probably takes two hours to, to tell the story. Yeah. It's, <laughs> the length of a movie, rather. You know, and I, I don't want to get into spoilers. Um, so I'm trying to figure out a way to, to talk about the film without getting into specifics. So as to, as to not ruin it for the, the listener. But, I mean, I will say that and this, this, the film's like, what, two hours and 20? 220, yeah. Yeah, two hours and 20 minutes. I mean, you spend a great deal 
uh, in the center of the film. What, 35, 40 minutes? Oh, probably think, a little bit more, maybe, yeah. Yeah, 50 minutes, almost an hour on this one. It's, it, it's, on. it's almost like it turns into a play because you're literally in this room during the torture scene, whatever you want, the, the interrogation, torture, death game scene for an hour with just one camera and and how many people in that room how many 11? people being tortured at the, in the hallway yeah in the hallway there no. were about nine okay and and then nine and four cops or i mean depending on the army guys and exactly was in the like three three detroit police and one national guard kind it, of it's us is this almost the movie stops and then goes into meta mode inside of itself mm, mm. and then starts all over again with this torture scene. And um, uh, sounds like another Oscar for Catherine. The way you're <laughs> on. I, I just, um, and it's weird because even when you and I were talking, cause I mean, it's no secret. Like, you know, the, the roots worked on uh, the song at the end. Um, I mean, there was two ways to go with the direction of that song because with films that intense and when it's time for the credits, you need uh, you need a, a, a moment to breathe to process what you just saw. Catharsis. Need, That's what Catherine yeah. was saying about the song earlier, right? You were breaking down, it's not just a song. It's- yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it also, there's... You know, it's so emotional, that song. I think it's phenomenal. And and it also shifts time periods. Yeah. You know, takes you from the 60s to now, back to the 60s. And I think it's a good release for the kind of anger that, that one might feel. We wrote the song, It Ain't Fair. And I wanted to uh, give the listener release at the end. But I also remembered that I was mad as fuck <laughs> at just angry as shit. And I wanted to mm-hmm. convey all those things in that song. On um, the movie or just period? You know what I, I felt? I had a long conversation uh, with the, in, in seeing the film twice. Uh, I kind of had a, a, a post-viewing conversation. Uh, with the people I was with and kind of hearing both sides because, you know, I was with white and black people. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, the, the the white people that saw the film with me were like, okay, you know, I have to admit that it took this film for me to really truly understand Black Lives Matter. Jesus. And this person is a liberal. Jeez, but they're the worst. Sorry, it's, <laughs> but no, are. but that's it's, what it is. This person's a, a liberal, yeah. but it's so, it's sort of like well, I hear what you're saying, but it's almost as if this film really allows drove you. It home. Yeah, this film really allows you to put yourself in that person's shoes because this is one thing to just watch the news thing, and there's always the thing in the back of your mind like, okay, uh, the brother, the brother in uh, uh, Minnesota. Philando Castillo. Where, you know, I still, you know, liberals that might say, okay, but okay, what really, what happened? really happened? Okay, did you, We're did you flinch? We're waiting all the facts to come in. <laughs> right, exactly. We're waiting all the facts to come in means that you're given the benefit of the doubt that, right. that we never fucking get. Right. And 
it was like as we were watching the film, I kept watching the energy of the room, mm. and the white side was sort of like, "Wait, what's going on here? I, I, what? This what we've been trying to tell y'all, motherfucker. <laughs> right? right. What's going on? And they're, they're Trump awakening. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's 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 real, and it's you know, I kind of had to explain to them that yeah, like none of us, none of us, and the thing that it hit home to me was that again with with the dramatics and what they went through not, not trying to spoil it but i was even like wow like how do you even go on continue going, as yeah. a group or function with your life after this yeah what was the album they made after that? i what what is that record yeah but it's like how do you go on and so it was you know, I mean, tears were shed, and, and, and there were all sides of it. Because even, even on the black side of things, they were just like, "Yo, man, shouldn't be like, my white girl." That's no. Somebody said it. There, there, there. I mean, I've I've had arguments of intense levels with you know, well, you know, why the fuck they stand up for themselves and be like, "Yo, fuck y'all," and I, you know, and I'm just like, dude, when you're I always call this the Price is Right syndrome. The Price is Right syndrome is that when you're watching the Price is Right mm-hmm. in the comfort of your home, <laughs> you, know yeah. you know the price. You know it's that. $500. Yeah, you know that turtle wax. Turtle wax is eight ninety nine. You know, but when you're on when you're on the Price is Right, it's like a uh, thousand. Oh, <laughs> it's like you always know the answers when it's not yeah. when, when you're not you. there. Yeah. And I've been okay. I've been in situations, and this is the thing, because I'm I'm sure that you you've definitely been in a situation, Fonte. Absolutely. Bill <laughs> Bill come from Indiana is probably definitely in Laia has been in a situation where I mean, even today, I mean I'll I'll say with all casualness that, you know, maybe my my average of getting stopped it's you know, six times a year. It's like I expect every January, okay. Mm-hmm. And I think about it a lot, like, wow, I'm a, I'm gonna have six Six run-ins with, <laughs> and, and it's to the point where I got to over-prepare. Like, I keep extra Lego hearts in the car. What? <laughs> you give them out to cops? No, three oh. times. Like, you know, because wow. if I want to go out and be comfortable and not have to take selfies, I wear a hood, I braid my hair, I wear dark glasses. It buys me 10 seconds of, yeah, yeah I know you're looking like, yeah. Amir, you're not ever you. But yes, it works sometimes. Right. I, I can no. sneak in movies. And I'm cool, but when that shit happens, yeah, put on jazz music. Yeah. yeah, put on jazz music. <laughs> no, for real. Like, Do not turn your head to look back. You're you're programmed. I mean, you even be like, all right, fuck it, I'm down for the cause. And Queen Latifah, your way out that car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? But then Yo. it just be like, yeah, Supreme. Set it off. I'm sorry. Set it off. I was making a set it off. I got it. I got no, it. I got it. Yeah. Or it's like you know, the second they see. Wait a minute! I got stopped by ICE. ICE. I got stopped by ICE. ICE. Yeah. Oh, this yeah, summer. California. What this is summer that? in California? What is that? What is ICE? Uh, immigration. 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 What? Why they stop? I, I don't. Migra. I was. I was. <laughs> we, we were. <laughs> we were driving. We were driving. <laughs> I, I was being driven from my gig in uh, San Diego, which has a lot of activity of, of fence jumping and whatnot. Right. Like they have the little. Signs of of families like running the border, like beware the you know like you see deer warning. 
Well, they have signs of like so fucked up. Yeah, like a shadow. It's, some it's like a shadow, <laughs> a shadow of four family so members running, racist. and the baby got a little teddy bear. I'm like, why do they have a blanket and teddy bear? Like, do so they think you stashing a family of Mexicans in your black suburban? Well, <laughs> they stopped. They stopped my driver, <laughs> and you know, I was asleep, but she told me like, you know, they, well, they stopped us, and I said, what happened? And she's like, well, you know, I'm driving my client from his concert, and da 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 da, and they said, well, who's your client? So I got a question with Love from the Roots, and they were kind of like, okay, lightly story. Female driver, blonde. Yes, I know. That's why I'm looking at And so they made her roll down. Now, you, you sleep. You, you don't know, even know none I, of this. Yeah, yeah I was. traumatic for you. He right? Was, <laughs> no. They abused you. But no, I'm saying that when he saw, he's like, oh, yeah, that is him. The Lego and she, heart. She's like, oh, yeah, they looked at your, uh, your, your Lego and was like, <laughs> oh, that is him, and rolled it up. I mean, I'm not... That happens a lot. I just don't tweet about it or Instagram about it every time I get stopped. Right. But my whole point. Oh fuck! What was the <laughs> keep keep Lego hearts oh, in your car. No, no, it's no, no. a sixty-nine. Cent. It ain't fair. That's the point. That's the point. It ain't fair. Turtle. My whole, my whole point was that the conversation of. <laughs> My whole point the was wrong. the conversation that this movie brought on after we saw it was me having explained that, yes, even in my privileged situation, that even I'm susceptible to to that sort of treatment. Definitely. And it still happens. You ain't LeBron. Which, yeah. Shoot, and even LeBron. Got yeah, it. but sometimes you still got to convince people of that because they just think because you're on television or White that you got some dollars yeah. that you're immune that to. That is immune. Nah, and you're yeah. not. You're so not. And so, you know, I wanted to... My whole point of of the song was I wanted to make a, a song that really speaks to liberals mm. who, in the back of their mind, always have that conversation, a little tinge of doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for people that just sort of sit on the sidelines. Because even when, like... You know, I, I have parents that like made you watch Eyes on the Prize. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sit down and watch this. Stand right, right. You, you have me. <laughs> oh Lord. Yes. And, <laughs> and the thing, ready? and the thing is, is that uh, whenever I watch these documentaries, the people that I always question the most aren't those that are are committing the injustice mm. is those that are on the sidelines yeah. just watching. Yeah. It's like the James Baldwin quote is a thin line between uh what is it, a witness and a participant? Yes. You know, it is very thin. It's like I almost have more hate for the witness. Yeah. That knows and won't, won't do anything. Won't at do least anything. acknowledge it. Yeah. At, at least and that's what we're going through now. It's like, oh God, please acknowledge it. And so uh and getting Bilal to sing the song. Ooh, Bilal's on it. Oh, yes, you know that already because I played it for you. Yes, you did. Edit. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret for the win. <laughs> um, and, and getting Bilal to sing the song. Bilal is really the only singer that I could think of um, today mm-hmm. that just encompasses everything that this ending was supposed to be gentle as a lamb, but ferocious as a lion. He and, 
It's a seven-minute song, which I let him go batshit crazy yes. at the end. Any, Sometimes. Any baby noises this time? Yeah, absolutely. Everything. He just... <laughs> Wait, Catherine, was that There's the first even time? a point where he, he threw down the microphone. Is that the wow. first time you and heard Bilal sing before? Yeah. 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 Wow. What did you yeah. feel the first Phenomenal. time? Phenomenal. You... Phenomenal. Mm. And, it, it, you know, it was kind of mm. weird at the time because usually when you get, quote, the credit song, mm. that usually means that there might be a chance that you could... Get an Oscar, usually for yes. films of this nature. Glory. If yes, if this song is in the credits, then that means it, it could be a contender for an Oscar. Song or yeah. yeah, and usually it's like, oh, man, okay, let's get that big name and let's, you know, let's let's go for it. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like I had to go with my conviction and Take go with challenge. the right. <laughs> <laughs> Shot. 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 Really shots fired. Sorry. <laughs> but not really. <laughs> You're like, sorry. Not sorry. sorry. Not sorry. No. Um, yeah, you just, you, I had to go with what I felt was the right person that would really grasp your chin, attention. Yeah. Yeah, he would do it. And, uh, this was that. And I'm realizing that I've just spoken for the last you 20 did. minutes. Can I just ask Catherine a question? By the way, we're back with Catherine. <laughs> it's funny. I just wanted to ask Catherine, so in the process of figuring out this song, this has to be huge, this has to emote, it has to do this, why uh, Amir or The Roots or how was that called? Oh, well, I just, I love everything that he does. So, mm. And I just thought it had a, it had the right, um, I don't know, the right emotional gravitas mm. And uh, for this piece, I mean, and when he saw the movie and then we talked, it was just like, uh, it was perfect. So was but the you've song done that before, though. You've done that, like, uh, you did that with, in Strange Days with Skunk Anansi with the last, like, so you, I've seen you do, you know, you take like an, kind of an unusual band or an unlikely <laughs> choice and, you know, do it at the end. I thought that was dope, too. Oh, good. I just, yeah, it just seemed like a perfect, uh, a perfect fit. Strange Days yeah. was my movie, by you, the way. Oh, God, Juliet Lewis. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, her, yeah. you're, you're the goat for that reference, Fonte. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about Skunk and us. <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a, a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit mortonbuildings.com and start your construction process with superior materials craftsmanship best in class warranty morton buildings are made to last for generations at morton the difference is in the details from their cutting edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field they are dedicated to surpassing expectations their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years and morton buildings 
is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, well, it just hit me before I went on that 15-minute rant. (laughs) (laughs) I remember what my initial question was. Why did you want to do Detroit? No, I'm playing. Uh, But your your preparation level, um, the way you shot the film, did you use stock film? Like, I don't know how to describe it. It almost feels like she dat kinged it. Oh yeah, oh, like oh. she, that mean? I'm, she I'm, made it look vintage, like yeah. she was oh. shooting on. Oh, like get down footage. How they did it first no. season? No, no, no. Okay. I thought you just don't. Not yeah, a good thing was, to bring up here. Damn. New. Even I know that. <laughs> okay, so in the breaks, I don't. No, 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 no. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, to get down. I mean, uh, uh, Detroit. Back, back to Detroit. Detroit. Let's get down in Detroit. Yeah. Was it, I mean, what, was I guess? What, am I correct in that you use like certain. We use lenses from the period mm. and, and yet digital cameras. And it was like maybe two weeks before we were going to start shooting, they made, an, they made it possible to adapt those lenses to these brand new digital cameras, which are actually pretty small and fairly light, which gives you that sort of more nimble approach. But the vintage just gives the patina of, of it gives a patina of period, and then I also intercut it with some documentary footage that, you know, so it kind of, I don't know, it, it, it coexisted, or I thought it co- coexisted fairly well to kind of give you the scope and feel and authenticity of the time, right. and that was that was kind of critical to me. Now I want to ask you about Will Poulter. Yeah. Um, I'll go out there right now. I'll say that he'll. I'll be shocked if he doesn't get nominated for. Uh, best. I don't know if he's be supporting. Su- would he be supporting, or would he? Is he main? Wouldn't you submit those names, or? Does the company submit those names? Oh, well, we haven't even talked about it. Um, I feel like if you submit him for Best Supporting Actor, he yeah. will win. Um, but his level of evil... <laughs> Eyebrow. Is... And the thing is, I know he's the opposite of that. Because I had to... The person that I I saw the movie with the first time... I mean, she was all disheveled because, you know, of what he represented in his other films. And he's right. such a gentle right. English voice. Yes. And those things. So when you are betraying something that intense, when you yell cut, is it like, okay, where's my iPhone at? And, you know, okay, what's on, on television and the game? And, okay, you would. Order me a pizza. Roll. Yeah. Oh, we're about to cut. Okay. It's, I know that one of them had to go through some sort of therapy or 
some sort of process to get rid of that character. Well, I mean, when when I would say cut, um, first of all, he never lost his accent. He was in that accent for the movie twenty four seven during the shoot, and in fact, the off crew is, off off and on, yes. And but when I would say cut, I would sometimes I'd look where's Will, and I'd see him out on the porch, and his head would be in his hands. Mm. I mean, it was really really hard for him, and as it was for everybody, but. I mean, it was extremely difficult for him. Like, were they able to interact with each other oh, yeah. off camera? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, that was good. Even, Why don't you punch me a little harder? <laughs> no, I think because even like Tarantino said for Django that like he had to do some special things with the cast, you know, in between and make sure everybody was cool because it was keep, so yeah. tense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you have to. I mean, I just, and I had a conversation with everybody going into this film. I said, you know, trying to give them, you know, a sense of what the lay of the land might be and how. You know how at the end of the day they're going to be asked to talk about this movie, and are they comfortable talking about this? Are you comfortable performing this? You know, yes, this really happened, but that doesn't necessarily make it any easier. And so, having that conversation, um, they were very prepared, or I felt that they were pretty prepared going in. Did you have to do anything in terms of making sure you talk about things you had to do to make them comfortable? Did you have to do things to make them uncomfortable uh, at times? Um, I was. It, it reminded me of um, Spike Lee in the school days. Yeah, Spike yeah. Lee school days. Oh, yeah. um, he would separate Saving the... Private Ryan, where he would. St- Private Ryan, Ryan did that guys. too. Yeah, Stephen. He made all the guys that were going to get Private Ryan. They all had to do like PT and all this crazy physical stuff. Mm-hmm. But Matt Damon didn't do any of it. Wow. So like they, and it, and they, they really, him. They really <laughs> had that contempt for him. Right. Like we risking our ass go say this motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like they really. Had that, so did you have to do anything stuff like that? Like the early, early in the shoot, they kind of kept each group kept to themselves just for that reason. Because mm. if they were too friendly, it might be too difficult. And then when they became more comfortable and more relaxed with it, and I felt, I think, felt more confident that they were in their character and they really understood their character, um, then they were very close with each other. But um, but it's a full on commitment. I mean, something like this, obviously. Who's the, the technical advisor for the nuances of like the time, how, you know, this is Detroit, we talk about black folks, the slang, just the just make it making it authentic. Like Did how you shoot you, it on location? Or yeah, or that too. Well, we shot some of it in Detroit. Unfortunately, about a year before we started, we went there where we wanted to shoot. They had disbanded their incentives program, so I needed to go to Boston to save money. Okay. Because they give they have a rebate of you know, 25% above and below the line, and Detroit, or rather Michigan used to, but in their infinite wisdom, they um, <laughs> disbanded it. Um, Detroit pulled the Detroit. Yeah. 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 North Carolina, <laughs> my state did that too. North Carolina did that too. Like, we shot Iron Man 3 and then was like, nah, we ain't doing that no more. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, it's crazy, because if there's ever a city that could use, the money, you know, right. this mm-hmm. tremendous amount of revenue, um, anyway, Detroit. that, yeah, so... No, but it, we shot, um, so we shot a lot of it in, in Boston. How many, because there, there are a lot of exterior scenes. Yeah. How many blocks would you have to, uh, you know, uh, transform to, to just to get it to look like that? At least how many? Actually, um, not as much as you would think. I mean, it's fairly contained. I had a, an amazing production designer, Jeremy Hindle, who also did Zero Dark. And, and um, yeah, I mean, 
keeping it somewhat contained, and that's another benefit of of a sort of documentary style. It it's it you know there isn't these big wide crane shots. I don't use cranes, you know, so you don't mm. you know you're just right here. Uh-uh. <laughs> you're in the car or you're, you know, over the back of somebody. So it's very, it's intimate. And that actually is a benefit if you, you know, don't have like giant giant real estate in which to work with. So is that, so did the same thing go for the costume and wardrobe? Is it the same, is it the same people from the other movies or did you have no. to go a little special for that? No, I used this wonderful woman, Francine, for wardrobe and she was just, uh, really um i don't know she's just extraordinary with i mean she got fabric from the period she would like travel all over the country for fabric and then create wow. these and then build these suits and i mean everything was just um, meticulous <laughs> just meticulous and um so that was you know, we were really lucky to find those kind of artisans who who did that but um yeah we were a lot of research and try the language. I mean, there's a lot. I spent time with Melvin Dismukes, who John Boyega played, mm -hmm. and a little bit of time with Larry, the dramatics, um, the man from the dramatics. And he's, it, it's hard for me to talk about this, even to this day. You know, he's, he's, he's really. Does he have PTSD? I would think so. And yeah. And then spent time with Julie, who was on the set every day with me, who the real. She was Julie. one of the. Okay. The Julie, um, played by Hannah Murray, um, mm -hmm. in the film and, and, and she, you know, she had to relive it and, and, um, and she just, you know, I mean, sometimes I would do a take and I'd be, I'd look over my shoulder and, you know, it would just be awful. And I think, you know, it can't have been like that. And she'd say it was worse. Dang. We, we know, well... In, in the book, in history shown, yeah. what the end result of the court case was. Uh, Nobody in, went to jail. In, in the various, of course, in the various <laughs> lawsuits. Some things don't change. In the various lawsuits that, that have recurred throughout the years of it, or the attempts to reopen the case. But I um, always wondered if those two characters in particular, uh, the two white women that were caught up in did they ever have their own lawsuit or their own civil suit? And you know, not that I'm aware of. Um, not that I'm aware of, but let's, no, I don't think so. Yeah, because yeah, I looked yeah. all over the internet to see yeah. could they at least get justice and nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like only people paid. <laughs> no, I'm just like, no, were they like in the, the hotel? But that's were they? Good. Were they in the hotel with the guys? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The the real crime the okay. real crime was no, that they yeah. were yeah. in the hotel with, with the guys. In the hotel with white women. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's the test. Like even if white women can't get justice, it's like yeah, it's, yeah, no. it's a lost cause, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like if yeah. It's, isn't there a display about this in the new uh, Smithsonian? I don't know if you if you heard about the Detroit riots or did you get a chance to go? No, not okay. no. Okay. Um, oh, the one in DC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there's. Uh, you know, there, there's, 
a riot section. Yeah. <laughs> of the Smithsonian. Right. You can have one for every decade. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, there that. is. What yeah. that? What it's a very yeah. it's a very lovely and beautiful display of all the riots that America. Yo, that is so sad. It's so hilarious. That thing. Yeah, <laughs> but God, man. I mean, it goes from uh uh Black Wall Street in Oklahoma yeah. and right here is, you know, in Memphis and here is Detroit and here's Los Angeles. And here's and DC and here's Berlin. Yeah. It's like and they have extra room for the future ones that are about <laughs> <laughs> Why are we <laughs> laughing? I don't know. <laughs> but it's funny because it, it brings a it's question. It's funny because it's true. It brings a question about riots. And what do you think made the Detroit riots stand out from what else had happened? And why previously? couldn't they recover it? Like, what do you. Yeah. In your research, I feel as though this riot currently has Detroit where they are now. Like, when I think of Detroit, I think of a sepia toned, black and white. Desolate. Yeah, it's it's the American London. Yeah, mm. and nice. and it's. Why do you think that they have yet to recover? And mm. with the importance of you releasing this film mm-hmm. on the 50th anniversary of those riots on August fourth, two thousand seventeen. Well, I think that's you know that's a that's a really good question. I mean, I I. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think of the city as both equal parts resilient, and certainly the people I see, I meet there, really resilient. But at the same time, it's still a city that's that's been a war zone, and it hasn't really recovered from the war zone. And that's, you know, so it's kind of this weird dichotomy. And, and I don't know. Um, I, yeah. I guess sometimes that's the right answer. No answer. <laughs> I wish I knew. Will we overcome? Not to put you on the spot, but I just, I'm curious. Ugh, I got to ask. Do you feel like because of this movie and the subject matter and everything else that there should be, is there a relationship with Detroit? I mean, I know you said you didn't, you didn't shoot there, but a relationship in a way of like, you know, that since they have the water issue, have they, they have seen so it? many issues. Like it's not just meant like, is there like a, charitable relationship or do you ever think about I, I, that? See, I think so, yes. Um, they have seen it. We did a few screenings and mm. now we're going there for a premiere and we did shoot there for, you know, maybe five, six days. Oh, so okay. we did shoot something there. So they got a little bit of the money from the... Okay. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, I mean, this is definitely a part of their past and, mm. and, um, and so... You know, but I think I don't know. It it speaks both to a kind of strength in that. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a huge art artist community there now, and and that's kind of exciting and thriving. And and yet at the same time, I mean, this tragedy is is imprinted, you know, in the DNA of the city. Mm-hmm. And and yet, I mean, again, there's a tremendous amount of anger that precipitated it. But unlike, let's say the Rodney King riot. I mean, that that had a very specific flashpoint, the, the LA riots. Whereas this was attritional. I mean, this was right because it wasn't one event that no, set off the riots. Yeah. No. It was just like injustice, and people were fed up. Exactly. And so, you know, justice is the the conversation. Mm. You know, no justice, no peace. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can't heal until unless you're heard. You know, so wow. maybe there's a a dialogue that can start in Detroit and. Have you, Expand. How many screenings have you done in Detroit, and what's the general? How many screenings we did? Um, well, we did a screening for 
the chief of police there. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. How did that go? <laughs> um, he wants it to be required viewing for every member of law enforcement. Yes. Seriously? He's yeah. a brother, right? It yes. Be. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You serious? Yes. yes. Um, I got a response to that. I don't believe, I don't believe you. <laughs> Word. Oh, that's great every time. That's crazy to me. I, yeah. I, that was the last thing I was going to expect. Detroit to. is about to be the police eyes on the prize. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like required. It's like the video they make you watch yes, when you exactly. work for pizza or something. You're, you're, you're training you're video. Enjoy your training joy. <laughs> wow. Just clean the water, man. I know. I know. Right? Just clean the water. I know. <laughs> so, I, I, so I think it's, you know, is there is there a way forward? I mean, certainly, and we've screened it for some faith-based groups and you know, we're trying to get it out there, and of course, it comes out nationwide. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe it, you know, it can be of some help. Open dialogue, more open dialogue. dialogue, exactly. So, once this is like when you put your baby away and you go to the premiere and you do the last press junket and. I'm sure that movie season's over after February, Oscar time. Um, at what point do you start researching your next project? Like, do you overlap or are you going to swim in Hawaii for two weeks? <laughs> and just like, you know, do you watch Friends on TBS? Like, do you, <laughs> you binge Who watches Friends on TBS? Man, whenever it's unavoidable. Channel. to change the channel. Dude, it's yeah. unavoidable. Like, I've fallen down many of Friends' rabbit hole. Like, my rabbit hole is American Ninja Warrior. Oh, Ooh. no. It's supposed to be Family Guy. Okay, oh, we man. can do this all day. Nah. So, for you, like, are you thinking about the next project? No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> Yeah, but we're not acting like you. I mean, you've done you've your average is a year and a half to two years between films. So it's like I imagine that you at least have to research six to seven months before you're like, all right, let's green like this. But this got to be exhausting though, right now. Like, but this well, is also, do you even have the energy? Like, but this Detroit is also your production is, company, correct? Like, is this? Oh, I worked with them with Annapurna, who are fabulous ah. on on. Um, on Zero Dark Thirty, and okay. so, uh, so that was a good kind of you know continuity there. But yeah, I don't know. This was a few years, actually, kind of five years from release to release. So it's been a little while. So you're saying uh, that maybe 2022? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I <laughs> and hope, can you can you not, can you go that long? Because again, if you're not popcorn budget, you know, yeah. t- 250 million. I mean, I I could imagine that the light bill has to be paid and stuff like that. So <laughs> you, it, it would behoove you to at least know what the plan is for 2019. It, it would. If you have any stories, <laughs> I'm open. But yeah, um, would you, you would you go out of, oh, wait, let me just ask you, would you ever go off type and just do like a, ro- a romantic comedy? Like a, a musical. <laughs> 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 
like Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> yeah, like a, a frothy. Yeah. Uh, You've got mail part two. You, oh, wow. <laughs> John Wick. Think like a man. John Wick. John Wait, John Wick's your version of no, a romantic no, no. comedy? <laughs> <laughs> a man and his dog. <laughs> yeah, how do you... Um, you know, when you're between projects, uh, like financially, I mean, how do you make that work in terms of... Oh, I do commercials. Oh, uh, okay. Wait, are y'all saying that Catherine go broke in between projects? Because I, I'm mad. No, I don't it's just oh, real it's artists. Just, yeah. Real artists have to keep jobs. Yeah. I have 19... Yes. This He's is, got like 20 jobs. I have 19 jobs. No, I yeah. Okay. I got jobs. One, one, job, <laughs> one job does not pay me enough to, enough only do that to one pay job. you. Right. <laughs> one job does not pay me enough to pay you guys. Okay. I gotta, I gotta Unpaid. have... This is fascinating. So commercials, that's like you do you do those kind of in your I do. And time. and um are are you uh do you uh use a different name? Alan Smithy. Alan Smithy. <laughs> no. No, but So you don't I do mean, like the Heinz kept up ketchup commercial or you, Japanese commercials like I haven't done those, but um it's I don't know, it's interesting cuz that's where I can kind of maybe check out of content a little bit and just look at it from an equipment and tech, technical standpoint, you know, just the mechanics of film. And I, fig- I figure that's harder though because you have to tell a story in thirty seconds, which you specifically. I I don't know if if it's like the level of your commercials are, you know, Mercedes or classy girl. Like, did you say classy? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I was watching the Soul Train episode before I got here, so in my head. <laughs> You get swirl, That's still girl, a girl, I'm sorry. I, dig- I digress. Uh, what I'm saying is, when you do commercials, is it harder to make an impact or or tell the story in 30 seconds to a minute, however long the commercial is, than it is to tell a story in which you have complete control of? I, I don't know. I, I like the... Um... I kind of like the challenge of, you know, like 30 seconds or a minute. You know, you just, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a deep dive. Can you give an example As, of a commercial that you've done that we've all seen? But it's a different part of your brain, right? I it's mean, a different the, part of your brain, That's how exactly. I look at them. Yeah. When I do commercials, it's like one thing. And when you do creative things, yeah. it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Bill Sherman, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard. He is here. Dude, it's, it's, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Like, it's not, F. Allen, my version of the commercial. The sandwiches. Yeah, when they ask us to do seven-second stingers. Yeah. So if there's a new bit, uh, you know, uh, sidewalk movies, mm-hmm. and they need usually like Marks or Jingles, Str- Stroh Elliott. Yeah, but Jingles. that's not my world. That's because that's where you come from. You come from long form. But Again, people come from short the song form. I submitted to her film is seven, seven minutes. minutes and nine <laughs> seconds. And but Bilal, that's not real life. It's all Bilal for like three minutes. Because <laughs> I knew he has to simmer and cook. He's yeah. not microwave. He, yeah. You know, but at Fallon... You gotta have a, a catchy ass jingle in seven seconds. Which in radio, you're supposed to talk for <clears throat> thirty seconds sometimes in a minute. And <laughs> but sometimes you have a script and you know right. you get into a rhythm of "How's your day?" or fifty nine, <laughs> <laughs> and this is CNC Mm-mm. Music Factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy who did the, um, it was similar to what uh, what Catherine was saying. The guy that did the I was doing the interview. The guy that did the Windows startup music. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, and he was saying how that was like once he got into that, like he had to do God however many revisions until they finally got it. But he said like once he was so used to working in like that little five or six seconds, 
once he sat down to write a song, oh, yeah. that felt like that, a universe. That's like, my life. Like I can't write a three and a half minute song anymore. That, I can write. A, I can write. A, I can crush a minute. But I can't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because Sesame kids, Street, yeah. your songs are like ninety seconds. Yeah, at the most. Catherine Bill is the music director verse, at Sesame Street. I'm the Just verse chorus, verse chorus out cat. Like I don't do bridges no anymore. Electric company. Get right to the point. I see. I see. Uh, anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> hey, wait, can I ask a question? What's more Bigelow, interesting? Since I'm talking, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, my 15-year-old me would be super pissed if you didn't bring up Point Break uh, yes, in our conversation. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, d- uh, <laughs> part of me wants to be like, remember when you made Point Break? Because it's awesome. But like, <laughs> like, did you have any concept of the impact that movie would have? And like that we were talking about like, uh, the, the thing like TBS Friends, like if Point Bill, Break comes on the television, I can't that's it. stop Sounds watching like it. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm done for the next hour and a half. Or Bill, what? can I can I add on to that? Yes, please. You're the boss. Are you even, <laughs> Catherine? Are you even aware of this new uh, uh, embracing of Point Break from millennials? Like for some reason, I, usually on weekends, I will go to a movie theater and see a throwback film, like though some art house film will you know show right. like an old and. What's weird is that there's a new culture of this generation that looks at intense drama films as comedies. <laughs> and when I saw Point Break at the Nighthawk like three months ago, any line that Keanu Reeves said... I was going to say, any Keanu movie though, now is a comedy. But like, do you see Keanu Reeves? I mean, there's so many... Yeah. Like, the whole thing is amazing. But do I realized have, like, he was this most Keanu in, in Point, Point Break. Break. Yeah. Dude, More than any he could film. be. He was free. <laughs> it was like, I could be me. So what was... It, like, in your head, did you have any idea that 25 years from now, like, dude, uh, that voice... It's like... <laughs> it's the best. I mean, like... Whoa. <laughs> Like how do you how do you direct that film where it's but he's Californian because I know a lot of dudes that talk like that in California so it's almost like like what's going on in your head as he's acting like you're just like oh that's Ted from Excellent Adventure (laughs) well that was you know that you could be honest no no it was um, because I see you trying to form the words no it was actually a real challenge to get the movie made with. With somebody who had hadn't didn't have that kind of, you know, acting action. experience. No, no. <laughs> oh, action experience. <laughs> Whoa, wrong word. Shots I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and um, coming from Bill and Ted's, you know, you're like, okay, well now, how can he? You know, right. it was just trying to process that, and I, I don't know. I just I thought he was. Was it sold to you? Or no, no, no. Did I've, you say I want that guy? No, I want that guy. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And what did yeah. they? What did Hollywood say? What did the producers say? Well, like, no. Like I want Keanu no, Reeves. No, no, no. And no. Like just, the Bill and Ted guy. Because um, oh, sorry. Because no, it's just it's just the way that uh, how can I say it? I mean, I was just convinced that he'd be perfect for this part. He was Johnny Utah. That was the name of the piece originally, um, and 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 then I finally found a producer who again just like Hurt Locker I was like okay <laughs> you know, like wow. we'll, we'll take a flyer and um, and said yes so I was really lucky were you surprised at the success of it? yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, I believe that and when you saw the remake oh I didn't see it. Okay. I, just I didn't see it. Yeah. Good good answer, good answer. A lot of people didn't I didn't see it. I'm so glad you asked that light. I was just going to <laughs> But did you see Point Break Live? 
Any of you? What? what? There's a live I point break? Oh, it's been for years. I don't years. understand. What, what is this? What? It's a performance. I, I don't have anything to do with it. All I know is it's called Point Break Live. It's probably here somewhere. Probably Certainly it's in, <laughs> right. it was in Los Angeles. And um, I went with Edgar Wright one time because he wanted to see it and he wanted to see it. Edgar, Edgar, Edgar Wright? Yeah, I know. The Edgar Wright? I know. Yeah. Nice. And, um, no, a different one. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Bill. Yeah, the other one. The one Edgar that Wright, yeah. Yeah, from, the one that didn't do Sean. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right, that one. And um, anyway, there's a character in it that plays me. It's very funny. She's like got wow. a, a megaphone and, you know, half the time, oh, it's really, I mean, you have, you buy your ticket and they give you a, like a clear poncho because oh, no. for the wave sequences they throw water all over oh, you. <laughs> no, I want to go. We, we to need to. I, yeah. I want to go there collectively. And, and they pick somebody from the audience for Keanu each night with, and they give them a card that no. you know. Yeah, so it could be. Oh, that's awesome! You no, could be Keanu. You could be Keanu. Does this still happen? Dude. <laughs> Dude, it's going on for years. Did they invite you, or did you just show ambush no, one night? No, like, we just I'm ambushed. Here. But then they realized it was that you? I was there, and then you know when they robbed the banks, yeah. well, they came and robbed both Edgar and I. We took everything, <laughs> oh, everything shit. that we had. They oh. they took and. Um, Oh, it was Genius. it was fabulous. That is so, hilarious. Oh, that's great. I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking on Google right now. <laughs> yeah, so much. <laughs> Catherine, have you ever had an issue with someone taking direction from you because they've never worked with a female director? Mm, good question. Wow. Well, now it's. You, you, <laughs> don't, you don't have to wow. name names. Just, you don't have to name names unless you'd like to. Busey. I think I. I don't know. I've. I. I think. Either I've been lucky or, you know, I kind of, I steer clear of... Assholes. Assholes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, I mean, you know, you can, you can sense uh, a sort mm -hmm. of attitude mm -hmm. and I, I move away. I move, I move in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but, no, I've been really lucky, you know, crew and cast... One thing I was always curious about, uh, for the time that you were with James Cameron, yeah, what was it like to be, you know, for two creative people mm. in one household? <laughs> what was that like? Well. <laughs> <laughs> now come the hard hitters. <laughs> yeah, sexism, and now who you used to be married to. <laughs> Let's play ball. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That was, that was, I mean, we're actually great friends. So, I mean, it was, um, it was kind of fabulous for the time that it was fabulous until mm. it was no longer fabulous. But, um, I mean, we talk a lot about film, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. you know, like, like, uh, you know, just. Do you steer, did you steer each other away from projects? Like, uh -uh, so I wouldn't. two film nerds in the same household? A lot of that. Like, right. you know, why are you using so many close-ups? Why are you using so ah. many, why do you use a wide <laughs> angle? Why are you using a 24 when you could use this 300? You know, it's that kind of conversation. Wow. So, so what was it I gotta like ask, to win? I gotta ask, yeah. What was it like to win an Oscar over your ex-husband? Yeah. yeah. Um, Let your petty fly. Go come on. Go. I, I, Let no, no. Petty out. I completely was, was surprised. I mean, I thought 100% it was Avatar. Yeah. I was not in any way. So not any, any point did you give him a side eye as you walked up to the podium? <laughs> no, 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 no. A little no, extra no. switch, no like, hey, no. Um. <laughs> no. She definitely I told you you used the 24 one. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> looking good at them Oscars. Hey, boo. <laughs> yes. Well, I, Catherine's I, not playing with us. Yes, so I, I know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're silly it's, like that. We're just trying to be very respectful and use the good China. <laughs> <laughs> that room you don't go in. China. Yeah, yeah China. exactly. China. Normally we had a paper place out. We, you know, but <laughs> we got an Oscar winner here today. Yeah. <laughs> had to bring it out of China cabinet. Well, no, I, you know, I figure at some point you might get tired of, of having to represent the what's it like to be at the mountaintop in the boys club and da 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 da. I know it gets tiresome and that you would want to just be a director, not the first female or history making. So, isn't there is there a female director collective? Like, well, there's um, there's a kind of a kind of like that at the DGA Directors Guild of America, the steering committee, and um, I mean, you you know, I suppose my feeling is. I've always resisted a conversation about your woman doing, you know, I think that kind of ghettoizes women, you know, in other words, it actually prevents a perceptual, in other words, it, it siloizes them. And so, you know, I think of myself as a filmmaker. I don't think of myself as a woman as a director. Woman. Yeah, exactly. So you there's know, no filmmaker. Sundays with Sophia and Ava <laughs> having lunch. And... I, I just, I just don't think of that only because I think it, well, I don't think like that because I think it perpetuates that inequity. But what about know? from a, a mentorship standpoint? Because the, it is, an, an, I'm guessing that there is an inequity in the numbers of f- female directors and... Like 7%. You mean that that kind of inequity? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is sound that... like sixty cents to a dollar to me, but or these less. are real facts. Facts, but yeah. So, what about on that note? Because there is a dichotomy of okay, I don't want to be the female director, but hey, it's not a lot of us. So, how do I? So, yeah, is there an end game where you become Murrow? Like, do you run? Do you imagine like maybe fifteen years from now you will have your own Paramount where you? Wow. Make sure that, <laughs> again, like again, you, you said that, you already said that you don't want to focus on the sex of it, but at least from what you know, and I know that you've had a lot of mansplaining done in your life and a bunch of no's told to you, and you've saw injustice where your male counterparts wouldn't have gotten that, and sure, petty shit like, well, I think it should be done this way, and that whatever. So is there any desire to, yeah, I would like to open my own production company and give fellow me's out there a voice or that sort of thing? Well, I'm, well, I'm working with, I do, you know, I'm producing a couple of things and, um, and I try to, you know, I try to give back in that way. And, Mm -hmm. and I suppose, um, also in the world of philanthropy, as I said, elephant conservation or any wildlife trafficking conservation. Um, so you try to give back um, in a way that's meaningful. But I also am a creative advisor at Sundance, and that's where I sort of spend most of my energy of trying to... Even out the score. Even Well, yeah, to a certain extent. On the other hand, I sort of always walk away from that feeling like I get way more than anybody else. You know, it's just, I don't know, do... Uh, you know, the kind of, I don't, I don't presume to be able to, um, I mean, I never want to tell somebody what to do. I just want to do what I do and hope that inspires others to carry on. And I always tell them, don't take no for an answer. No doesn't exist. In your world, in your universe, no doesn't exist. Well said. 
I know I know this much. Thank you very much, Catherine Bigelow, for coming on Quest Love Supreme. I appreciate thank it. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All of you. All of you. All of you. And on behalf of uh, Boss Bill, Unpaid Bill, Sugar Steve, Fontigolo, and Laia, a.k.a. Margaret, uh, we thank you, Catherine Bigelow, for coming on the show. Uh, reminding all of you people out there, go to Detroit, have conversations about what's going on. Get involved. Just don't be a, a, a couch critic and, and criticize your television. Go do something about it. Uh, this is Questlove Supreme. Thank you very much. I will see you the next go-round. <laughs> Wishing you love. Peace. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a, a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit MortonBuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.